Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. This episode is titled Finding Fish on Trolling Trips. I'm going to be talking with Captain Rod Bierstedt of On My Way Fishing Charters out of the Carolina Beach area. We're going to be talking about making a plan. We're going to be talking about basic offshore trolling spreads. We're going to go over finding signs of fish and bait and the relationship to structure. A lot to cover. My name is Gary Hurley of Fisherman's Post, and Fisherman's Post has been serving the saltwater fishing community in North Carolina since 2003, bringing you fishing reports, fishing information, fishing tournaments, fishing schools, and here in our latest and greatest chapter of the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast. And it is in this podcast series where we reach out to our captain and guide friends from up and down the North Carolina coast and ask them to share with us their thoughts, their insight, and knowledge on how to catch more fish more often. And in this endeavor, I am joined, just as I am in every episode, by Billy Thorpe of Thorpe Creative. Billy, here we go. We've got a regular back. We've got Rod Beerstead on. My job should be easy. And, uh, man, he loves to teach. He loves to be an ambassador. So I'm I'm really going to just try to stay out of his way. I think that'd be good, man. I, You know, he made some pre-show threats to you that he had some surprises, which I'm really looking forward to. I hope those turn out as as much as my expectations are, if it's just 50% of those expectations, I'll be satisfied. So should be a really good show. Stay yeah, tuned. Man. I'm glad we were able to schedule him. It was a pretty tight window. It, it was after K&W cafeteria dinner and before Wheel of Fortune. So we, we really got to move forward and get him in. <laughs> yeah, he'll be asleep if we don't hurry. He'll be, he'll be dozing off. Oh, man. Poor Rod. I don't know why he keeps coming back. You give him so much crap. I don't know either. <laughs> <laughs> oh man it's gonna be a good episode i'm looking forward to it and uh making this possible after we made fun of our guest before he shows up is marine warehouse center uh speaking of being with us long term just like rod and then also bland landscaping so i'm gonna jump over to bland really quickly and let you know that they are always actively looking for people employees to come be a part of their company uh people who enjoy the outdoors want to get up early go home early get on the water be with friends and family and then, um, as always, if you need their services, I'm sure they are happy to help you out as well. So go check those guys out, Bland Landscaping. Yeah, man, we appreciate the partnership. The It makes sense. It's a relationship that makes sense, even though they're not a truly fishing business. But, man, just their attitude, their approach to how they treat employees, how they want employees. And then, again, as I've been saying, like, why not have them do your yard work? You know, between getting on the boat or doing yard work, it's a pretty easy decision. Call Bland. Yeah, exactly, man. Exactly. All right. And then next up, we got Marine Warehouse Center. Got a little message from them. We'll be right back. Marine Warehouse, we have everything. We have new boats. We have parts. We have accessories, new trailers. We have a complete service department with highly trained technicians. Anything you need to get out on the water, we have. At Marine Warehouse Center, as we've grown over the last few years, now have a large section of marine supplies from start to finish for all your boating needs. What I love about this region is to be able to get out on the water and also we love to be able to get you out on the water. The best part of working at Marine Warehouse is being able to get involved with the customers and share a love for the water. There you go. Every time yeah, he says the best part about working, I always think about like the best part about waking up is Folgers in your cup or whatever. Uh, I always think of that little 
I don't know why. Anyway, totally distracting from the video. <laughs> but um, yeah, man, we love those guys. Appreciate them being a sponsor, long term, long time sponsor of the show. Um, super awesome, man. So is Terrell still writing jokes, Gary, or did he give it up? I mean, I don't know if he's writing jokes. I don't know if he's Googling these. I don't I don't know what his MO is. I but I have to say, like, I'm kind of tough on him, but I kind of like this one. And you know, right. I, don't, I don't say that often. And I don't know if it's that I like it or it's just that he has forced me over the year to like lower my expectations so low that it's easier for me to now say, yeah. that's actually pretty good for Tarot. Well, I just hope I understand it because you're pretty high level intelligence over there, Gary. And I so am. that's true. So it might be over. We'll see. Why? Tarot's joke, not mine. Why? Does the Norway Navy have barcodes on the side of their boat? On the side of their boats. Na Norway Navy, why do they have barcodes on the sides of their boats? Not sure, but it sounds like some landfall 1%er stuff to me. So when they come back to port, they can Scandinavian. <laughs> All right, that's pretty good. Right? That's pretty good, Daryl. I can tell you've been watching some Kevin Hart. We're coming after you, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. But still, That's everyone, funny. please go by, ask to speak to Terrell, and give him your own best boat slash fish joke. I mean, yeah, yeah, that, that'd be funny. Don't let him funny. push you off. Don't let him say something like I'm busy. Just demand his attention. Yeah. If not, just sake, write them down and put sake. them on your. Yeah. If not, just write them down on sticky notes and stick them to his car. Like that way he has them when he's done. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> Wait, I'll take that back. Don't, don't do okay. that. <laughs> Terrell's going to be like, hey, Billy, why don't you come right. over to the shop hey, and take my car off? <laughs> hey, I got a sponsorship check for you. Mind stopping by in person? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, I do I do have something for you, Gary. I'll post right up here. All right. There's a fishing picture. We got Glenn Floyd from Fairmont. North Carolina caught this mahi on skirted ballyhoo while trolling 15 miles off Riceville Beach. Good looking, good looking little fish there, man. I love those colors, man. They're Very fun, fun, man. They're fun. They're fun to fight. They're fun to eat. They're fun to watch get electric. The colors, you're right, man. It's a fun yeah. fish. It's good, man. It is good. Tastes good too. Yummy. Anyway. And uh, I like to remind people at this point before we move on into the show, once again, about our weekly fishing reports and forecasts. And that is inshore only this year, inshore only in this first year of offering. Fishermanspost.com, go to member content, and there you can find out more information. You can register because for these weekly inshore fishing reports, you do need to be registered. You do need to be a member. You know, we do have very affordable rates. And again, to have the most information you can before going out on the water, it's certainly worth the small investment we're asking people to pay. Once again, Fisherman's Post, weekly, inshore, fishing reports and forecasts. Yeah, man. It's good. It's a lot of fun to work on. A lot of That's a great commercial, Gary. Right? I'm mean, practicing my commercial. That's why I was smiling. I was like, man, I think that's my commercial voice. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, do you struggle with fishing? Well, no more. Come by the Fisherman's Post Weekly Reports. <laughs> yeah. Better watch out, Gary. I'll have a better one next week. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, man. Anyway, I'm well, going to let you guys talk about fishing. Yeah, let me talk to Rod. And uh, coming back to you at the conclusion of my conversation with Rod for Billy's Best Takeaway. Billy's Best Takeaway. And I hope that is something of Rod grilling you. Just put that out there. Anyway, I'm out of here. I think he's bluffing. 
<laughs> I don't think so. He's telling serious. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Well, let's see. Let's get this underway. Man, it is truly my pleasure to welcome back to the show longtime friend, and I mean it when I say, man, a great ambassador, a great teacher. Man, he loves this. He lives for this. He wants more people excited, and I am talking about Captain Rod Bierstadt on my way fishing charters out of the Carolina Beach area. Thank you so much for joining us, Rod. <laughs> I didn't hear anything. I think we got sound issues. What oh, happened? Rod, lost His, your uh, sound connection here. looks bad. He didn't look that pixelated before. We can't hear you right now, Rod. Can't hear you. Sometimes it happens with a poor <laughs> internet connection. How are you with internet? Billy, can you see? Well, yeah, it looks fine on my side. I mean, his picture looks blurry, but I don't know what happened to his audio. You only toggle you on and off. All right, I'm going to dip you out and just come back in if you can hear us. I'm just going to keep it recording. All right. Yeah, man, keep it recording. I'll just do, I mean, I won't do that whole lineup, but I'll just say Rod Bierstadt. And then we'll, excuse me. Now, how's this? Oh, yeah. There we go. Okay. All right. I don't know what happened, man. Sometimes, you know, technology, it's just technology. So we're not going to do that whole intro again. You know, you've heard the intro. So I'm just going to say Rod Bierstadt. We'll pause for just a second. And then, you know, welcome to the show. Okay, sounds good. Welcome to the show, Captain Rod Bierstedt. Hey, Gary. It's great to see you. And uh, the first thing about doing this is Gary told me to look sexy for any of the ladies that would be watching. So I donned my really nice going out shirt. And, uh, you know, a lot of people don't won't, won't recognize me. And I don't want that to happen. You know, this kind of a shirt, they don't recognize me. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to just go to my regular shirt that everybody's going to recognize me at. And this is this is more Rod here with my Fisherman's Post fishing <laughs> shirt on. And uh, now I got my hat on. Now this is Rod. The, the other shirt, yeah, that was good. And I've uh, been getting a hard time about my beard. And, uh, you know, price for everything's gone up. So I had to cut back on something. So Dollar Shave Club had to go. That was out the window. So um, couldn't give up a few alcoholic beverages, adult beverages, but, you know, the Dollar Shave Club had to go. But excited about this year fishing, and we all are faced with a number nope. of nope. challenges. You're not allowed to start yet. You got two questions. Oh, two questions. Okay. Question number one, yes, why, should we listen, why should we listen to you talk about offshore fishing? Why should you listen to talk to me about offshore fishing? I guess because I've been doing it a long time, and you can even lead a blind squirrel to some peanuts every now and then. And I think I've got a lot of information to share. I think you do, too. I was more really a matter of formality that I had to ask you that question because I can't yeah. play favorites. I have to ask every captain. Just like I have to ask you. I don't even want to ask you question number two, the non-fishing related question. But in fairness to everyone else that comes on, I'm obligated to. Are you ready for question number two, your non-fishing related question? I am absolutely ready. Um, okay. My question to you, I'm going to give you three statements. I would like you to tell me which one you find you either most identify with or you find most offensive. Okay. Statement number one, you're so old. When I asked, when I told you to act your age, you died. 
That's offensive. Number two, you're so old, you watch the History Channel to see if you see yourself. That's very accurate, yes. <laughs> you're, so, you're so old, when you walked out of a museum, the alarm went off. That one happens all the time. <laughs> all right, enough. Enough yeah. of this ridiculousness. Please talk offshore fishing. Well, it's uh, we're all faced with a few challenges this year, as everybody knows. Uh, and the main one is just the cost of going offshore. Um, unfortunately, the price of fuel has skyrocketed. The other day, I saw a friend of mine, he did a uh, run out to the break, and uh, his gas bill was $1,000 in a twin-engine boat. He burned 160 gallons, and at over 5 bucks a gallon, it was... Uh, just a little over a thousand dollars. So, um, you know, we still want to be on the water and enjoy it. And that is the key reason why we leave the dock. It's uh, to go out, have fun on the water, be with friends, enjoy our nature and what we have out here, our coastal area. And then the bottom thing is that after a while, you know, all of a sudden you might, the question might come up, could I use my time better? And, can I spend this money a little better? And I hope that never enters in, but the idea to go out and not catch any fish, then all of a sudden it can wear on you. To go out and bring home some fish, all of a sudden it gets a lot more, uh, the fun part really gets into it. Everybody loves to hear the real scream. And uh, some things that you need to do is the more, the further you plan to go offshore, um, you need to plan more. You need to get the resources that are available to you and plan your trip to best position yourself in an area where there's going to be bait and where there's going to be hopefully actively feeding fish. And so those are the things you need to think about and you need to plan. And there's a lot of resources out there, as Gary knows. Um, there's all kinds of uh, services on the Internet for plotting uh, seawater temperatures, chlorophyll, salinity, and all of these factors that help you zero in on that area of productive fishing grounds. Obviously, uh, getting a good chart, Maps Unique is the one I highly recommend as your starting point. Uh, has a multitude of waypoints on it, and it also has a great four-page user guide to help you better understand our bottom area. And um, the bottom area is like what is shown right here. And uh, it is a very small, um, you know, small relief in most cases. There are some big relief areas. And the bait fish likes to congregate on these relief areas, on this hard bottom and rocky bottom. Um, you're not going to find the bait fish over sandy bottom. The other one is that you're going to, uh, and the relief is very low. I mean, it can be as little as two and three feet. It doesn't have to be great big relief to attract the fish. The other one is that um, there is a technology out there called shaded relief technology. And uh, Garmin has a great product called Vision G3 for all you Garmin users. Um, it works extremely well. Uh, it's a great product and um, it looks 
you know, it shows you where that relief is. And I've done a few experiments where I've taken my GPS coordinates where I know there is hard bottom relief, et cetera, and I've put it onto the unit and then pulled up the shaded relief and zoomed in on that particular waypoint. And lo and behold, it winds up pretty darn close to the, the Garmin Vision G3. So that is a product that I highly recommend. There's some other ones. Seymour Mapping has one. There's three or four of them out there. You just need to be careful on how much area in our particular area the certain application that you're buying has, because some of them are extremely limited, while other ones are rather extensive. So um, you don't want to zero in on just a few little select areas. You'd rather have a much bigger area. Hey, so that's I wanna... about your... Yeah, Gary, go ahead. Uh, so I want to circle back because I, I was following along and all of a sudden I thought maybe I wasn't following along. So I, I too am a Maps Unique customer. I'm familiar with the product. But were you just telling yeah. us that there are other products that can help you analyze potential waypoints that you identify on Maps Unique? Or are you that talking about the electronics on your boat that help you examine these waypoints once you're over top of them? Uh, actually... You take the Maps Unique, and this will help you enhance, as Chip Berry says from Maps Unique, that on his chart, he can't put every single waypoint on there. He wouldn't have enough room to list them all. Uh, I tell a lot of people in the seminars that I do with Gary and everything that I have in excess of 7,000 waypoints in Onslow Bay alone that I've accumulated over the years. Well, there's no way Chip could put two or 3,000 waypoints on a Maps Unique chart. So you'll see on his charts a lot of dots, but it won't have a waypoint associated with it. And what he is telling you is that that is a hard bottom area, and it's an area worth exploring because in that area there is varying stages of relief. What the vision does is it enhances that and gives you a further picture on your GPS before you get there of what potentially will be in those areas. Does that make sense, Gary? Yeah, man, now I'm following. I, you know, I just wanted to make sure I was following. I, but I do have one other question before you, you get rolling again. As, yes, far as, as far as planning, and, and again, I, I follow some of this, you know, chlorophyll, water temperature, you know, there's all kinds of different data out there. You know, if I'm some people, it's not so much they don't want to pay for everything, but they're almost overwhelmed by trying to manage that much data. Like, what is the one key thing? Is it water temperature? Like, if it's just one extra bit of data that they should check before making a plan, you know, or two tops, what would those two be? The two, I number one is water temperature SST shots. One is go ahead and buy a system that and they're they're reasonably inexpensive. Now you can go the high end, which is Rolfs, and it costs roughly eighty dollars for every time you request a shot. And you don't do the planning; they actually tell you where to go. So it doesn't. It takes a lot of the planning out of it. They'll tell you to go to an area of what they've analyzed to be the productive area for the fish and the pelagics that you're seeking. And a lot of people find value in it. You can get a package deal from them that'll decrease it down in cost. But for the typical recreational boater, it's a lot of overkill. 
you know, the big tournament guys up at Moorhead City and other big tournaments, offshore tournaments, they use it. The typical guy going out for king mackerel for, you know, near shore mahi, somewhere near, you don't need it, truthfully. Um, a good program that I use is Seacast from Captain Dave Tilly at Saltwater Central. It's a great program. He has a multitude of satellites coming over daily. The thing, Seacast rip charts, and there's a new one called Satfish, which I have not tried yet, but I'm going to. Um, they claim a lot of good product, uh, a lot of good features, and I haven't seen it yet, but I'm going to subscribe to that here in probably the middle of May, early middle May, uh, and uh, I can report back on that later on. Uh, but Satfish is another product out there. Those would be the three that I would recommend, would be Seacast uh, through Saltwater Central, Rip Charts, or Satfish for the typical recreational boater. And all of them are going to run you somewhere a little less, you know, somewhere under $175 a year, you know, $15 a month. And that was just what I was looking for. That's just the answer I'm looking for. Now I'll get out of your way because, I mean, you are rolling with information. I hated to stop you, but I just wanted to circle back. So now no, take us back to determining what we're going to do. Okay. The, the thing about the um, planning your trip is it, number one is the SST or the seawater temperature. You can only get it in cloud-free conditions. So the other thing you can have as a resource to get you to narrow into that magic 1% of the ocean that contains the pelagic fish is the weather buoys that we have in Onslow Bay. We have one at five miles, one at 23 mile rock or about 25 miles off, and another one, what they call the outer buoy, Onslow outer buoy, which is quite a ways out, and then the one down by Frying Pan Tower. So if you can just look at those weather buoys and see a change in temperature, uh, in the summertime, we're going to get a lot of what we call uh, blended water, and the surface temperature is going to be somewhat unique, but you can look for variants of a degree, a half a degree. A two-degree variant is a really good one, and on the SST charts, that'll show up as a real hard line, uh, a big color change on your SST, and uh, anybody that is looking to do this, they want to reach out to me. My email and my contact information is on this particular podcast. Feel free to reach out to me. I'll be more happy to help you gather that information. Uh, the other one is structure. When all else fails, go to structure and then have a plan. What I like is structure within five to 10 miles. So I go to a, a location that has lots of structure within the five to 10 mile range in any direction. That's still a lot of ocean and a lot of area, but it gives you a lot of opportunities where point one might not be productive. You might go there and it doesn't have a lot of bait. Point two might not be productive. And you get to point three and you're marking all kinds of clouds of bait and it looks real fishy. All of a sudden you found a really good place. Another one is Fish you are targeting know their happy zone. Fish are really simple creatures, Gary. Um, very simple. They only want two things. They want comfortable living conditions and food. And they will sacrifice sometimes comfortable living conditions if there's an abundance of food. 
So ideally, you want to know what temperature range of the water, say mahi like. And I do have that available. <clears throat> if you uh, text or email me, give me your email. I'll be glad to send that information to you. Uh, I have it for all the pelagic fish off our coast. Um, it's on a two-page uh, little uh, PDF file that I can easily send to you. Um, and I'll share that with anybody. It's not secret information. And it'll tell you the low, the best, and the high range that these various fish do prefer. And there's a lot of overlapping in it. Uh, mahi, king mackerel, sailfish, a lot of them like similar temperatures. Is it in their best range? So I got a, you know, that's I got a planning question. Yes, sir, Gary. So are you completely making your plan the day before, the night before? Are you modifying that plan in the morning before you even leave the dock? Or the only modification would be on the water real time, you just see something that is that intriguing, you're going to sort of modify the plan you set the night before? Gary, it's all three. You hit every single nail directly on the head. You want to plan your trip the day slash night before. Uh, get the most up-to-date information. Another really good part of information is develop a network of friends that fish a lot or you know have gone fishing the day before you're going. Reach out to them that night and say, hey, what? where did you go? What did you see? How'd you do? Obviously, if they're friends, they're going to share the information uh, with you and you can formulate a plan based on your information that you pull up off of the Intel system, the internet system, and then with actual real-time information. And like you said, Gary, you hit it on the head. The next morning, I always get up 15 minutes early before I want to leave the house, turn on my computer, and I pull up the most recent satellite shot because this environment is constantly changing. All the edges and all the water are moving. And you can track how that water moved overnight. And I tell the story, I was out uh, on my boat one night and a bunch of us spent the night together and we anchored up in 70 degree water overnight for King Mackerel. The next morning we got up, the water was 64 degrees. It had dropped six degrees overnight. And all, so we knew that nice warm water that held the King Mackerel had moved offshore. So we all started trolling offshore and sure enough, we found it four and a half miles away. Overnight, that edge of water, the 70 degree edge that we liked and where we were catching kings had moved offshore five miles overnight. You can encounter that quite a bit. Uh, so when you go to an area and your SST satellite shot said there would be an edge there and you don't find the edge, then how the edge was moving, try to predict that and then just keep moving offshore, either trolling or running until you find the edge. But that the makes total key, sense. Yep. The other key thing, Gary, what you said is if you're running out and you think you want to run to point A and use your senses, obviously listen to the radio, listen, look around you and look for color changes, uh, temperature changes, watch your temperature gauge, you know, um, and look for activity. Birds, look for, if it looks like it's 
raining off to the side of your boat. That's bait fish. What did we just say? The, the pelagic fish are seeking food. If you see bait fish, and also bait fish are over, typically over structure. So go over there, work that area, fish it a little bit. If you don't happen to get anything, uh, see if there's any structure in that area on your depth finder. And uh, if you do, hit mark on your GPS, and then you got that spot. And then you can keep trolling off or motoring off to the spot where you do find. Um, but don't run over an edge or a temperature or a color break. Uh, that's cardinal sin number one. People will say, well, I'm going out. My goal is to go out 10 more miles. Hey, if you see really good conditions 10 miles before that, try it for 30, 45 minutes. Why run 10 extra miles and run over the fish? A lot of people tell me, well, I go, like one guy the other day went out, he ran 10 miles, he went over a really good spot, saw really good fishy activity, kept running 10 more miles, got out 10 miles, didn't catch anything, turned around, ran back 10 miles, fished that spot, and caught a lot of mahi. And he, he literally ran over the fish. So pay attention to your surroundings. If you see a slick area that looked like somebody dumped a quart of motor oil in the ocean or a gallon of it, it's oil, but it's fish oil from bait fish. Typically, when you pull up to it, it'll smell like your local fish market. It'll smell fishy. What it is is pelagic have been feeding on bait fish, and that oil has floated to the surface. So there are fish. There has been fish activity in that area, okay? Fish yep. that area. Look it over. A lot of times you'll actually see the fish breaking the water, or you'll mark a big ball of bait underneath the water in and around that slick area. And what it is is pelagics have been feeding on the bait fish, and the oil has floated to the surface. Makes sense, Gary? Makes total sense. And I'm start. I'm having the vibe that I could have Rod Bierstedt talk about planning for a whole podcast, no problem. So Correct. if this is a good time to segue, I would segue you into your basic offshore trolling spread, unless unless I'm cutting you short and there's still something else you feel you want to communicate about planning. No, pl pl you're exactly right, Gary. I could talk about planning for eight hours. Uh, it's a very intense part, and I just I can't stress enough to do it. But your basic trolling spread, a lot of people, uh, recreational fishermen in particular, they go out and they drag four, five, six lines, and they drag everything on top. Every bait is a, a ballyhoo uh, or some type of a surface lure that's down maybe two, three, four. If it's a pretty heavy one, might be down five feet. You want some of those baits, but you want baits deep. The, a lot of our pelagics, what we just talked about, was a suspended bait pod under the surface. They're down there feeding. So you want to get your, your baits down deep. You want If you're running a six-line spread or even a four-line spread, I suggest you have two baits down deep. And what people say is, well, charter captains catch so many fish. Well, I can tell you locally in this area, the guys that go offshore, and I'm calling offshore 10 miles all the way out to the break, we will run at least 50% of our lines deep. 
and getting bait steep. Now the recreational fishermen, you can do that. The One of the easy ways is just with a, a planer. This happens to be a number two planer. And uh, you want a long leader behind this. Uh, I, I suggest 40 to 60 feet. And the typical bait behind this for the charter captains in our area to get a bait down deep is blue water candy, pink sea witch, and a double hook rig with a false albacore belly strip. And that rig is set up, and what I have on this one, it's set up like this. This happens to be a blue, pink, and chartreuse sea witch with your double hook rig. 60 feet of 100-pound mono, ball bearing swivel attaches to the back of the planer. Uh, with a number two planer, you want 40-pound test line on your reel. Uh, a number three planer, I suggest you have at least 50-pound test line on the reel. Um, a TLD 25 is adequate. Uh, a little bit bigger reel, a 30 would be also good. And if you run two planers and stagger them and run them back a long ways to get them down to the mid part of the water column, I can guarantee you, you will increase your catch. You will catch significantly more fish. Now, granted, you're going to catch king mackerel. You might catch barracuda. You might catch an amberjack. But I can tell you, and this is the truth, last year, over 50% of my nearshore mahi that I caught in nearshore, I mean anywhere from 15 to 30 nautical miles offshore, were caught on my planer rods. I've caught sailfish on them. In fact, last year I had a double header on sailfish. Both planer rods got hit with a belly strip and a sea witch. And we had two sails on at the same time on both planer rods. So they do hit. I've caught wahoo near shore on them, on the planer rods down deep. Um, I've caught tuna, blackfin, big eye near shore. So you can catch a lot of fish. Just get it down. You don't know what it's going to do. The other thing you can Wait, I got a I got a planer question. Yes, sir, Gary. So 40 to 60 foot, that's a long leader. Yes. And and you're telling me to stagger it. So I can't stagger them so that they aren't going to potentially touch. How much staggering are you talking about? Okay. I let my long planer line, it's back, it's entering the water behind my boat about 90 feet. 30 yards is where when I set the planer where the line enters the water going into the water is how I judge it. If I'm running two number twos, both of them the same, I want one at 90 and one at about 60 feet entering the water behind my boat. If the long one gets hit and the short one doesn't, that's because the long one is deeper. And if the short one isn't getting hit and they have similar uh, strip baits on them with sea witches, I'll drop the long one back the next time I reset it a little bit further, and I'll drop the short one back a little bit further, trying to keep the stagger similar, but getting everything further back and deeper, because what it's telling me is the fish are running deep. If my top lines, my outrigger lines, and my baits on the surface, my ballyhoo or my strip baits up on the surface are not getting hit, that tells me the fish are running deep. And um, so that's what you want to do is just 
drop both of them back, but I like to keep a stagger so I can turn either way and not tangle them and run them into each other. Are you going to start with the same colors on the planters, or do you like to try out different? Uh, I There's three basic blue water candy sea witch colors that I use. I'm uh, Pink is the go-to color. You can't beat pink. This is a blue water candy half-ounce sea witch. Pink with mylar, can't beat it. The other one that is really good, I call this my sailfish color, is pink, blue, and chartreuse. Great combination. Uh, they That one works good. The third color is pink and chartreuse. That one right there. That's It's hard to see the pink, but it's pink and chartreuse, sea witch. Those three are really, for your down lines, are the only three colors you need, Gary. Uh, okay. Blue water candy, uh, pink, blue, and chartreuse. And if anybody wants a tutorial on making belly strips, again, get my information off of this podcast. Email me, text me, whatever, and I have some tutorials on making belly strips, how to how to cut them, how to cure them, and everything else uh, out of false albacore. Now, a new product that we'll talk about right now is a Mylar belly strip. And you can buy these online. There is a tackle company making these down in Florida. There is a video on YouTube. Everything's on YouTube. Uh, There's a video on YouTube of these guys that started this company actually fishing these down in Florida off of the Keys and showing the success, watching them catch, catch fish on their Mylar belly strips. They are reasonably expensive. They are five of them for $10, two bucks a belt, a mylar strip. They are tough, but me being the frugal person that I am, Gary, now don't laugh too hard, but (laughs) Rod went to the craft store and he bought a roll of pretty heavy duty adhesive mylar with the holographic on it. Just, this is it right here. I made these myself and I took two sheets and I cut it seven inches long it comes 12 inches wide and i put two of them back to back with the adhesives together so i got the mylar on both sides and then i took my diagram of a perfect belly strip and made a template out of a piece of cardboard and outlined them and cut them out and i have yet to try them but i am trying them by the time this podcast airs i will have tried them but I made lots of them, okay? I made 70 of these belly strips for a little over $8 plus my time by going to the craft store and buying the roll of Mylar, cutting it and putting it together. So if they work as good as they did in Florida on that video, I'm going to be extremely happy, and I've got to go out and try them. Well, I, I hope they work since you made 70 of them. 70. Well, I've given a few to friends and uh, for them to try also. And uh, but, you know, I think they're going to work really good. I love the natural belly strips. I've been I've been here almost right at 40 years fishing this area. And the first thing I learned when I came here 40 years ago and it hasn't changed was a pink sea witch double hook rig and a false albacore belly strip the go-to bait. And 
you can pull these on top. Um, I have one here set up as a long line. This happens to be with one of those Mylar. This is a blue water candy, one inch or one ounce, my mistake, one ounce, all Mylar Sea Witch. And that going through the water is going to look absolutely beautiful. In, in lieu of a ballyhoo, you can pull this. And it will it will catch fish. I I'm sure it will. Uh, the, I know the natural belly strip does. If the I'm I've got to try the mylar, but that just that'd be your top outrigger line in lieu of a ballyhoo. Okay, but obviously the pin rig ballyhoo are a go-to bait. Okay, um, also, but this is something over and above. A lot of people are a little bit intimidated by rigging up a ballyhoo. And um, it's not that hard, and uh, it's pretty easy to rig one up. Um, you know, just keep your lure nice and simple. This is a nice top one here, pin rig. This is your typical pin rig ballyhoo. Chin weight, pin rig, and uh, I use a black rubber band on it. And this one has a blue and chartreuse sea witch. This would be a, a great long outrigger line way back okay so i guess we've transitioned to you know you went into detail on the two planar rods the down deep baits so are, are are you doing the same thing with the top baits like if i am trolling four or five or six are you gonna help script me out like what you're putting on top if you got two planar rods well two planar rods or you can use deep diving plugs and i didn't bring any here into my office for this gary but you know your big rapala you know, six, seven inch Rapala lures that dive down deep. Those are another great option. The one thing you want to do is take your line and wrap a number 32 rubber band around it about eight times. Take both loops and hook it either on the handle of your reel or on a cleat to lower it down and reduce the bounce on the tip of your rod. And that way your lure will actually troll a lot better. There, there's a multitude of deep diving. Uh, Yuzuri makes some, Rapala makes some, Magnum makes some. There's all kinds of them. And, uh, you know, they work also good for deep lines. The belly strips truthfully work better. Uh, I have never done the comparison. A couple people in Florida did where they pulled a planar rod with a false albacore belly strip on one side and a deep diving, it happened to be a Yozuri on the other side, a big Yozuri. And they caught fish after fish after fish on the belly strip sea witch rod. And the Yozuri never got hit in four hours of trolling. And they were trolling in the same area. So it's, I'm a big believer in the planers. Your $5 sea witch or $6 sea witch your double hook rig, and your false albacore belly strip. Yeah, I, you just can't beat it. It's the go-to bait from 40 years ago that I was introduced to when I moved here, and it hasn't changed one bit. It's the same bait on the charter boats all through this area for your nearshore fishing. And are you pulling the same thing up top? It's just not on behind a planer rod? Like you, your Correct. top rods will be doing the same thing? Yes, you can... What it is, is your boat is your biggest teaser. It looks like a pot of bait fish to 
your pelagics. Okay, it creates a big dark shadow. It has turbulence behind it from your prop wash. And so that's your, your real teaser. So positioning your deep baits below your bait pod is great. Then on your top lines, you want to position your top lines. And so many people don't think about where they put them. But your every boat creates clear water alleys. And my boat is a little different than Gary's boat is a little different than Billy's boat. But every boat creates clear water alleys. Some of them are rather predictable. Uh, the motors and the side of your boat create one alley on each side of the boat. Outside of the side of your boat, on the outside, creates another clear water alley. And it's critical that you position your top baits into these clear water alleys to look natural. And what they look like are stagger, are stragglers, not stragglers, stragglers from the bait pod that are a little weaker and can't keep up. And it goes back to the killing instinct. Think about over in Africa. The herd of the horde of lions come into the watering hole. There's gazelles there. They don't go after the big strong gazelles that can all go with the herd and run off. When they attack, they attack a weak little gazelle. They attack one that might have been injured previously that can't quite keep up, the stragglers. So as your baits come through the water behind your boat, if they're in the clear water alleys, so they're very visible, they present themselves as little bit weaker baits that can't keep up with the main pod. Does that make sense, Gary? Yeah, it certainly makes sense. And uh, and I like the idea of like making sure they're in there. Do you consider at all the position of your top baits in relation to your planar rod baits? Uh, it's hard to judge that at times. Um, ideally, you want your planar rod bait, they're going to be down and back. And the top baits, because of where the planar rods are going to enter the water, I position my top baits. I run four top baits because I do have double pulley outriggers. So I can run what I call short riggers and then run long riggers. My long riggers are in my outside, outside clear water alley. And I use the sea witch that I just showed you um, out there. Another real good one is a real simple one. It's your blue water candy king skirt, which we all know. And then a ballyhoo rig, very simple. You know, you've got a little tiny uh, $3 tinsel duster in front of a ballyhoo. That's a good long bait. You want your really sleek baits to be your long baits, okay? You cannot beat a blue and white sea witch uh, with either a strip bait or a ballyhoo way back uh, on your furthest baits. They are single weak baits that can't keep up with the pod. And, you know, you, I run them back to where, and they look natural. They're in the clear water alley. You don't want them on the back of any of wakes. You want them on the face. Any wakes coming off your boat, if they're riding, you want them riding on the face of the wake, the front part of it. So that's the strike zone. That's where the fish can see it. If they're on the backside, it doesn't look natural. You want them on the front side of it or down in the trough between two wakes, okay? Then yes. as you get closer to your boat with any other short top lines, 
that's where you want some more aggressive lures, something that's going to make a little more action, a little more commotion. Um, another real good one there is a little stubby chugger, okay? Uh, this is my go-to short line bait. And to enhance it, I use some little squid skirt uh, teasers in front of it. This is a great uh, short bait in maybe 60, 70 feet behind the transom of my boat on each side. They work great. You want to further enhance it uh, to create that commotion. You can add a little mold craft bird in front of that. So you have the bird fluttering, then you have the squids skipping in behind that, and then you have the ballyhoo right behind it. Okay. Uh, another one that's all together here is a bird and then three or four squids behind that. And then hook up a chugger. Uh, another real good chugger is the Blue Water Candy Scooter. Can't beat it. Uh, you know, put that with a ballyhoo or a strip bait, either one, and run that behind that bird. And I can tell you it'll have action on it. Uh, it creates a commotion. It will incite strikes. And I, you want to run these more aggressive chugger-type lures closer to your boat. The sleek bullet-type ones, you want to run further back. So on your, on your spread, I mean, I guess you're starting the day with variety. And then if you find that something is clearly outperforming, then you start to double down, then you start to swap out variety for doubling a productive lure, having two of them in the water? Oh, yes. Yeah, it's uh, on my top baits, pink. Pink is a lot of people want to target near shore. And we're talking near, even out in the Gulf Stream, want to target uh, near shore mahi or mahi. Pink is a great mahi color. The pink, blue, and chartreuse blue water candy sea witch. Great mahi. That's well, hard to see it. Great mahi color. Okay. Uh, this is a quarter ounce pink, blue, and chartreuse. With a ballyhoo, you, you can't hardly beat it. Blue and white. I always have at least, I have the blue, I have one blue and white sea witch on a long rigger at the start of every trip. Uh, either with a, a belly strip or with a ballyhoo. Okay. Um, the other one, I'll go a different color. And if something is getting hit, what you said, Gary, you had a great point. You're asking great questions. If blue and white gets hit, it's my starboard long outrigger gets smacked, fish on, and I bring it in, gaff it. Blue and white, see which, goes back in the same place in the same position. Uh, sometimes it's the color. Sometimes it's the way you're turning the boat. If you are turning to the starboard and your long starboard outrigger gets hit, that bait is going significantly slower than the baits on the port side. So was it speed? Was it color? Because that bait will also tend to drop down in the water column a little bit. As you slow down, it'll tend to sink just a little bit, get a little deeper. So was it the turn and the speed or was it the color? So then at that time, if it gets hit again, 
And if I'm going straight, that's one thing. But if I'm turning, you want to take those things into consideration. If it gets hit again and I'm trolling straight, then the other outrigger comes in and I go with a second blue and white and see what happens there. Um, if the pink one on the other side would get hit and it gets hit two times in a row and the other one isn't getting touched, then I change it up. If I'm running a certain chugger or a, a shorter bait in close and it gets hit two times in a row, I'm contemplating changing the other one. Um, I can tell you many times out in the Gulf Stream, I, I usually start out with a blue and white cedar plug. That's one of my long rivers. It's go-to. It's no nonsense. You don't have to worry about a value washing out. It trolls perfect unless it gets weeds on it all the time. And I set the outrigger clip just tight enough to where I'm trolling, it won't pop it loose. So if I get a little bit of weed hitting it and it pops out, I know I've got I've had weed on it and I need to bring it in and check it. That's another secret using outriggers and outrigger clips is you want them just tight enough to hold the lure you have so you're not dragging weeds. Because dragging weeds in your spread doesn't look natural and it turns fish off to your spread. They will come up and look at it and say, oh, this doesn't look natural. Weeds aren't supposed to be swimming. I'm not going to eat here. And they turn and move away. So uh, set your outrigger clips relatively loose. But there have been times one cedar plug starts, it gets hit. It gets hit again. I immediately put a cedar plug on my other long outrigger. It gets hit. All of a sudden, I'm and my short lines, my ballyhoo, on, with my little teaser chains aren't getting hit. Next thing I do is I put a cedar plug, maybe with a, a little daisy chain in front of it, on a short outrigger. If it gets hit, the other one's getting changed too. I've ended up with every top line having the same bait on it at some point. So this is, I like how this conversation is going because I do have my eye on the time and I, I knew we were going to run out of time before we ran out of information from Rod Bierstadt. So what about some more trolling insights? I mean, I guess we're either found the bait, the color change, the temperature change, the structure. What other trolling insights can you give us now that we have at least a workable spread out and we're actively fishing? Did you okay, not hear me? Gary, key is get your baits, get some baits deep in your spread. One way or another, either with a trolling plug or a planer, make sure they're deep. Do your trip planning and try to position yourself in that magic 1% of the ocean where the baits are, uh, where the bait is, or the pelagic fish, the hungry fish are going to be. Um, don't just blindly run to a spot. Pay attention to all the visual clues around you during the course of fishing and as you are running to point A. If that you, if you see something that looks good way in shore of point A, stop, investigate it, fish it, give it 30 minutes. Okay. The other one in the summer, as the, and we're, you know, we're talking here late May on through the summer, is as the sun gets up, the fish go down. So the deep lines become even more important. And also being out early in the morning becomes critically important to your success. Uh, I've been out there at daylight and the bite is from daylight to nine o'clock. And the minute the, the summer sun gets up real high, 
the fish turn off. So at that point, feel prepared, carry some bottom bait, some bottom tackle. You're in some area of good ledges, good rocky bottom. Do some bottom fishing and then resume your trolling later on in the late afternoon. But during the middle of the day, and this happens out in the, at the break quite a bit, from 10 to, 10 to 3 can be really slow out there fishing unless you're on a really red hot weed line and it happens to be overcast or something. Typically, the fish can go deep. They can get a little finicky. So, you know, run in a few miles into the 130-foot range where you've got some good rocks, good bottom. Do a little bottom fishing. And then if you want to continue trolling, go on back out or run into your bottom fishing. I mean, sage advice. So I want to finish, though, with like, one thing that I love about you is that you provide the service where I can hire you to come on my boat and teach me how Gary, to fish my boat as opposed to getting on your boat. Can you tell me more about that? What just happened? Billy, what's going on? Can you hear me, Rod? Rod, can you hear me? Barrett, Gary, I got a bad connection again. That's all right. I'm going to set you up with it. Can you hear me now? Uh, bear, no. You can't hear me? I can me? now, yes. Yes, right, I can. Try, all right, I'm going to try to set you up with the same question, okay? We can edit that. Okay. You ready? Yes. All right, here we go. Rod, one of the things that I like about you that I've liked about you through the years is that in addition to, you know, running a charter business, and I think this might be fully where you are now, that I can hire you. People can hire you to come on their boat and teach me how to fish my boat. You can go over how you would set up the spread with whatever the dynamics of my boat are. Tell people a little bit more about that, that, that service you provide. Yes, that, uh, Gary, that has become a huge part of my business. In fact, it's becoming a bigger and bigger part with all the, the fine people moving into the area and wanting to experience our resource and our ocean in the fishing here is, uh, I call it Dreamcatcher Guide Service, but it's marketed under On My Way Charters. And I'm doing upwards of 80 trips a year on other people's boats doing exactly what you just described. I'll share seminar notes with you. I'll talk to you on the phone. I come and, and meet with you, look over your boat, look over your tackle, help you go to the tackle stores and buy your tackle so that you're buying tackle that is going to be multi-purpose and that you will find extremely useful. And my big motto is keep it simple. Don't get complicated. Keep it as simple as you possibly can. But yes, my on your boat guide service is huge. Reach out to me, text me, call me, email me, and I'll gladly, I have over 60 seminar note files and other pieces of media in excess of 1,000 pages. And I tailor it down to what you're looking to do, the size of your boat, and what is going to be most appropriate for you. I don't send you all of it. Uh, I tailor it down. Typically, it's anywhere from 10 to 14 files. Rod Bierstedt, man, I have, as I knew I would, thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I knew I would also leave it with information yet to talk about, which just means we're going to bring you back again at a later date.
thank you so much for your time. Thank you for putting up with my bad old jokes and everything else I throw at you. I keep daring you to end this friendship, and yet you won't do it, and I'm won't very grateful it, for that. I will not do it, Gary. You're my man. Uh, I've known you since you started Fisherman's Post. It is a great publication, and you're offering a great service to the fishing community, and thank you very much. Yeah, Rod, I look forward to us crossing paths again soon, man. Okay, buddy. Take care. Thank you. Billy, if you don't have a Billy's Best Takeaway, it's no one's fault but yourself. You have no one to blame but yourself if you didn't walk away with at least one Billy's Best Takeaway. Yeah, man, a lot of information. You know, I love Rod's optimistic self of saying Billy's Boat. I love that. I was like, (laughs) I wish. So anyway, wishful thinking. He's going to speak into existence. However, when somebody says something multiple times in a podcast, you got to write it down. And then when it has a 40-year tested trial, tested and approved, like you got to write it down. So uh, get a pink sea witch, double hook rig with a false albacore belly strip. Like, yeah. I mean, he said it uh, several times, and I was like, man, I'm writing that down because that's the – what else do you write down? You know, it's like just telling you how to catch fish. If it's 40 years proven for 40 years to work, I'm like, tell me no more. Uh, I think I Rod is very proud of you right now. I think he is shaking his head, going up and down, going, yep, Billy, you got it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. I got it. Woohoo. Now go to Marine Warehouse Center and buy yourself a boat so you can get out there and catch a bigger fish. boat. Even if you have a boat, you need a bigger boat. Yeah, they'll figure it out. They'll help you get the Cash biggest prices one. aren't going to stay up forever, and then you'll be set. Yeah. And don't worry about it. You know what? Don't worry about gas. Go to the thrift shop or not the thrift shop, the craft store and buy your material and wrap your, make your own stuff. Yeah. yeah. Make your own mylar strips, forget buying a razor. And then you can put some gas in the boat. Yeah. That's what Rod did. It's working out, <laughs> <laughs> man. Super fun. It's fun to have somebody like Rod on because he literally, I mean, all this information, all this resources, like you guys are crazy. If you don't call him, or text him or email him and, let him like i mean he wants to give stuff away and so he does uh, it's it's a wealth of i mean i've been to these seminars where he's at and he's just like let me show you this catalog that i have of of information of years of fishing it's insane it's insane he does it at the schools all the time people sit on the sessions and just for sitting on a session he'll grab an email and send them more information than they could have possibly gleaned all day at the fishing school I, i mean I say it a lot. I mean, a lot of my friends are that way, but, you know, as far as being an ambassador to fishing, you know, wanting to teach, I mean, I don't know if Rod Beerstead has a peer. I mean, we deal with a lot of great people that are trying to help everyone out, but man, Rod is as solid in that category. I mean, just the pleasure he gets from teaching and trying to help you be successful. It's, it's, uh, endearing. I know, man, it is good. And it makes your job way easy when he's on the podcast. You just say, Hey, Hey, what's up, Rod? And then you just let him rip. And I all make fun of him and I belittle him. And, know. you know, I just do, you know, what I do. Took some shots at his family before the show. Like, <laughs> what is happening? Like, I don't understand. No, his son's big, like tall, not big, like. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Well, be sure to support our sponsors, Marine Warehouse Center and Bland Landscaping Company. If you don't have enough money for that boat, go to Bland, get a job, go to Marine Warehouse, buy a boat, and then hire Rod to teach you how to use your boat. Go to the store, buy your, help you buy your tackle, like 
pick it out for you. I was uh, that's a good service. That's a, that's. I think we work out a deal where if you go to a Marine Warehouse Center with a bland landscaping paycheck stub, <laughs> then they'll immediately approve you for a boat loan. <laughs> I don't know, man. I think we're overreaching now. <laughs> we're not authorized to do that, are we? Well, let's <laughs> let's circle back around on that one. Let's see how much pull do we really have in this community, huh? Let's see. Are we the governors yet? Oh man, too much fun. Well, Gary, appreciate you, man. Always a good time. And um, next time, ask better questions of Rod. Okay, geez, get it. a question. Get more than one question in if you can. Right. <laughs> All right, man. We'll see you in the next one. Yeah.